Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, excuse me one second, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face to face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. It's a sweltering 190 degrees in Utah, and, uh, but we're enjoying it. We have some special guests here tonight with us. We have Elsa, she's from Sea Ranch, California, and we have Jared from Sandy, Utah. How are you guys doing? Good. Good? Good. And I know Elsa is a basketball player, and uh, I'm imagining she's very good at it. Is there anything you would like to say to the viewing audience? Hi, Vicky. Vicky, hello, who's Vicky? My aunt. Your Aunt Vicky, very nice. And Jared, is there anything you'd like to say to uh, the audience? Hi, Mom. Who's Mom? Christy. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for being on the show, you guys. God bless you. Okay, be careful now, stepping down. Thanks so much, Elsa. You guys can walk right over there. We praise the true and living God for allowing us to participate in his ministry. Uh, may he be with you and us tonight. Sundays, two things. We hold church deconstructed at the University of Utah, uh, and that's at 10 and 2. If you're interested, go to www.campus.com, and you can get that uh, with hyphens in between the campus. And then also, AM820, uh, the truth radio here in Salt Lake City. Uh, replays Heart of the Matter from 1 to 2 every Sunday afternoon, and uh, we love that station, so check it out. Friday nights at 8 p.m. right here on TV20, Bishop Earl, used to be LDS, a former LDS bishop, interviews people who were once LDS but have now come out into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the name of the show is The X-Files, 8 o'clock Friday nights. With that, how about a moment from the Word? In John chapter 10, we come to a parable of the Lord's. It's all about sheep. And it, the Lord talks about being the shepherd of the flock, the door to the sheepfold, thieves and robbers who try to enter into the sheepfold through another way uh, other than him. I would love to go through this verse by verse, but because of time, we're not going to. But going to verse 16, we come to the most important verse in the Mormon Christian debate. What is it about? After telling the parable of the sheep and the foal, Jesus says, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Okay, so in Matthew chapter 15, a non-Israelite woman, a non-Jew, Canaanite woman actually, comes seeking after Jesus to be healed. And the Lord says to her in verse 24, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so he essentially tells her, I'm not here to, to witness to you. I came to this earth to witness to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, the Jews. When the Lord sent the 12 out to share the good news with, uh, quote unquote, the world, he said to them in Matthew 10, quote, go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
uh, these verses make it perfectly clear, completely transparent, what Jesus was here to do when he was on earth physically, and that was he came to minister specifically to the Jews or the house of Israel, not the Gentiles, not Samaritans, only the Jews. So when he said in John chapter 10, other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them I must also bring, that they should be uh, hear my voice and there shall be one fold and one shepherd, he was referring to anyone and everyone who was not a Jew, like Adam Sandler says in that song, not a Jew, about Rod Carew. Uh, or in other words, to the Gentile world, everybody else, he was sent to come to the Jews. So I think the fact is pretty clear, unless you're LDS. Why? Because Mormon missionaries will take this passage and they'll sit down with someone and they'll say, uh, you know, Mrs. Jones, when Jesus was on earth, he said to the people of Jerusalem, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Do you know who he was talking about, Mrs. Jones? And Mrs. Jones will say, I don't know who he was talking about. And they'll say, he was talking about the people in the Americas. He was talking about the people who lived in America, Mrs. Jones. And he had other sheep. And that was Lehi's family who went to a, on a boat over to the Americas. And those are the other sheep, Mrs. Jones, that he has, which are not of this fold. And it's totally out of context. And it's just another example of Mormonish's teachings uh, that can be confronted and proven false by a contextual understanding of the word of God. Hey, before we go to our message tonight and then to the phones, how about a shameful uh, or shameless solicitation. Have you taken advantage of our uh, Lathia Ministries summer sales event? Five fine products for half the price. Three books. I was a born-again Mormon. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. And where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. That book alone is hardback and 640 pages long. 47 topics that you can literally see what the Bible says about the topic versus what uh, Mormon te Mormonism teaches. We also include in that five uh, product set a DVD docudrama, uh, A Mormon President, which is excellent, and a 17-track CD called In His Words, where Bible verses are put to music so that you can uh, learn them and also worship. All of this entertaining knowledge uh, and fun for 50 musty clams. How do you do it? www.hotm.tv. You can also purchase most of these products uh, at or through the following places. UTLM, www.utlm.org. That's Sandra Tanner's uh, ministry. Lifeway Christian Bookstore in Murray. Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City, Oasis Books in Logan. And finally, our newest book, Where Mormonism Meets Biblical Christianity Face-to-Face. It's available on Amazon and also at most family Christian bookstores throughout the nation. Walk in and ask for it. And of course, if you get uh, products through HOTM, we also include a Joseph Smith bumper sticker or sticker for your laptop air or sticker for your coffee cup air. Uh, so uh, if you order any book from us, we'll send in one of those uh, stickers for your use. Uh, you know, in, in, in light of the emails that we get, and we get a lot of them, uh, the flack that we take, I want to point out a couple things before we have prayer. Um, this program is not a church program. This is not a, uh, some pathetic time to set aside 
so that we can share and exchange beliefs with everybody or build bridges or play nice nice with Mormon people so they can share their beliefs and we can share ours. It's not about that at all. Uh, it's not a church service. That is not what this uh, show is about. Uh, it's a time to shout out, literally and figuratively at times, um, that the, the freaking house is on fire and the exits are all blocked by human debris and the only way to get out of that house is by and through him. That's what this show is about. It's to get people's attention, to say, look it, Jesus is the only way, nothing else. Now we cater specifically to the LDS because that's what I know as the host. But it's to anybody and everybody. This is what the show is about. I'm a pastor teacher, uh, nothing more. And as a teacher, the best I can offer is not to tell you uh, this is what it is, but it's to incite you to think for yourself. It's to get you motivated to go out and try to figure things out to see if what I'm saying is true or right. Additionally, I learned in college that instructors who were able to get the most out of their students were uh, professors who challenged them and prodded them, incited them, and refused to allow their students to hide behind their little subjective opinions in order to feel safe and warm. The best professors will drive you to try to figure out what is uh, going on and to see if they're telling you the truth or not. And these secular instructors are so good at it, they use all kinds of tactics to try to bring that out and to, to kind of light a fire under students. So we air this program from the middle of a state that has long had total control over its residents and they've gotten away with imposing their will upon the residents here. For 150 years they have made good people feel like second class, class citizens because they enjoy a cup of coffee in the morning, because they might like a beer in the evening, or they want to go fishing with their family on a Sunday afternoon instead of going to one of their uh, meetings. And using the very name of God, they have forced people, good people, to stand outside their whited temples uh, and wait for family members to come out while, uh, you know, uh, recommended people are inside doing God knows what uh, in, in terms of giving allegiance to the machine. So uh, we know our methods will not reach everybody. In fact, we know they won't reach the majority. Uh, we also know they do reach some. And typically those viewers who are inclined to seek God and those viewers who are willing to walk away from the machine and want to know who he really is, we reach them. And, and I, I just want to make that clear when you send us emails and tell us what we're doing wrong and why this isn't the best way or whatever, we have to restate our kind of our mission statement sometimes here on the air. So with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, love you and need you, Lord. Pray for your guiding hand here in, uh, with me, with our audience, with our volunteers, with the technical issues, streaming video, our audience, wherever they may be, uh, through YouTube, through uh, whatever it is, Lord. We just pray that we will be able to say the things that are pertinent to what you once said. And uh, forgive us when we make mistakes, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we're about to present a very important program tonight, a heart of the matter special, if you will. Let me say from the get-go that nobody represents, representing Aletheia Ministries has a pro or con position for any candidate running for office, any political 
candidate running for office. Tonight, I am not talking about any political candidate. I am talking about an element of Mormonism that needs to be seriously understood, and we got to get this in the can so people will start sending it, reading it, watching it, etc. Let me begin by sharing a true story that was taken from the Daily Herald in Utah County last week. In the 1970s, the Mormon church broke ground in a residential area for a campus they call the MTC, the Mission Training Center, and it's located in the Provo area. At that time, the residents of the neighborhood which they built the MTC were concerned about this campus infringing on the residential feel of the community, and the homeowners were promised by the Mormon church at that time that no building would ever be taller than five stories high. Today, the story has changed, and the LDS church revealed plans to construct a nine-story building on the MTC campus. Now, admittedly, things like this happen. Making promises 30 years ago, not understanding growth patterns, etc., what's needed, a corporation will often find themselves in this predicament and try to see their way. I get that. I also understand residents being unhappy when things like this occur and wanting something to be done and even getting outraged over it. Fine. With many of the residents of this area being LDS, in March of this year, they collectively drafted an amendment and a letter to the president of the Mormon church, Thomas Monson, expressing their concerns. In the Daily Herald article dated June 6 and written by Janiel Pugmire, it said that the Salt Lake City leadership contacted this area's stake president, that's a Mormon area president, and referencing the letter told the stake president to convey to the members, listen, that such concerns are of a secular nature and the issues are for the Provo City to discuss, end quote. If left at this, I would applaud the LDS leadership. This is separation of church and state. This is how things should be done. And from everything we have seen thus far, it appears that this is the way it would play out. With the Mormon machine trying to build, the residents being angry about the building, and both parties letting those in charge of the civil matter decide what should be done. Listen carefully, please. Because in light of what this nation is about to do, what happened presents us with how Mormonism works from the top down. Having been told by the top LDS brass that the matter was a secular one, the residents of the neighborhood believed their prophet and apostles and formed a petition and proposed that amendment and became quite vocal in their resistance to the nine-story building being built by the church. This community group was spearheaded by an LDS man and a BYU employee by the name of Paul Evans. The Provo Planning Commission was set to vote on what to do with it uh, 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 and, and whether to let the building go to nine stories or remain at five. But two days before the vote, Paul Evans bowed out as the leader of the residential resistance. Why? I mean, it was a civil and secular matter, right? Brother Evans uh, surely wouldn't have bowed out from pressure from the Mormon leadership, would he? What would cause this once concerned resident and property owner to suddenly back away from fighting the nine-story monstrosity that the Mormon church wants to put upon them? Well, Paul Evans actually sent his explanation uh, for resigning to the director of the Provo City's Community Development Department, and the Daily Herald obtained a copy of it, and this is what Evans wrote. 
On Monday, June 25th of 2012, I received an invitation from a Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints ecclesiastical leader relayed from a member of the Quorum of Twelve Apostles, the second highest governing body of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The invitation was to support the decision of the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles to build a nine-story building at the Provo Missionary Training Center. I accept the invitation, he wrote. Let me translate this to you in case you don't get it. The LDS hierarchy told Evans that this was a secular matter, but when Evans went forth and began to fight against it through secular channels, the matter became an ecclesiastical matter, and using the office of the First Presidency and First Quorum of the Twelve as muscle, Evans was invited to throw in the towel as the leader of the resistance, and he accepted that invitation. This is how Mormonism operates. But even with Evans having dropped out, there were others who did not get the same invitation from the brethren, and so they continued to resist the construction of the building. What to do, the LDS brethren must have asked themselves. Oh, that's right, let's apply ecclesiastical pressure at the local level. So an invitation, a similar invitation, was presented to church members living in the MTC area who continued to resist the building. How was the invitation delivered? Last Sunday, in a sacrament meeting of the Pleasant View First Ward, that's the LDS ward around the MTC area, stake president Chris Randall read a statement from the pulpit, which he said came from uh, LDS leader Whitney Clayton. Ward members in attendance at the meeting said that the stake president, in a tearful delivery, said the church's quorum of the 12 apostles and first presidency had carefully and prayerfully considered the issue of growth and development at the MTC and had decided that a nine-story building should be built. According to church members in attendance, President Randall then delivered what he said was, what they said was an invitation to the congregation to sustain the LDS leaders in this decision. In other words, to quote uh, Apostle uh, Boyd K. Packer, who said, when the brethren speak, the thinking has been done. Again, for those who don't understand, uh, the, the LDS church made it an ecclesiastical matter and they invited the members through their meeting by their stake president to please support the a prophet and apostles in their decision. One ward member who asked not to be identified for obvious reasons said, quote, to refuse an invitation to sustain the brethren would be difficult, end quote. And here in this little example taken from little old Provo, we see how Mormonism works. Why would the anonymous member in the face of this invitation from the leadership say, uh, to refuse an invitation uh, to sustain the brethren would be difficult. Our answer leads us to the very reason why active, faithful Mormon men and women who seek to be elected to public office cannot ever be considered truly autonomous in their decision-making or free from the influence of the LDS First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Gangsters, I mean apostles. Temple-attending Latter-day Saints make serious covenants in their temples before whom they believe is God, angels, and human witnesses, where they promise to give total allegiance 
to the building up of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, taking all that they have and all that they will have. All that they have and all that they will have. That includes uh, politically uh, elected offices. All that they have and all that they will have to the building up of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Such covenants are what would make refusing an invitation to sustain the brethren difficult for any temple-attending Mormon. But how far can the LDS attempts at total control really go? I mean, aren't they probably limited to Utah? Aren't they probably limited to Provo? Many people today tend to downplay the idea that a Mormon president would be influenced or controlled by his or her ecclesiastical leaders. Th to them, it's just too Orwellian. It's just impossible in this day and age of in intelligence that we would believe that a man or a woman would be controlled by their church when they were in public office. Just last week, we witnessed this influence in living color, controlling ecclesiastical influence. Oh, come on, scoffers will say. Provo, Utah is nothing like the bureaucracy that exists in Washington, D.C. And to this, I would offer two replies. First, the Provo incident shows how much control the Mormon church wants. If they are willing to get involved with a difference of four more stories on a building, do you know how much they want to control everything else? That was just, that was just, that's not evidence of the extent of their power. That's evidence of how much they want to control everything. Secondly, let's look at how influential Mormonism is nationally and around the world. According to da Dan Gilgoff, a CNN religious editor, quote, the nation's capital has become a Mormon stronghold, with Latter-day Saints playing a big and growing role in the Washington establishment. The article goes on, Congress now counts 15 Mormon members, including Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, end quote. With only 1.4% of the population of America being LDS, that's an over, far overly represented uh, 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 group of leaders on Capitol Hill. Add in the number of LDS, faithful LDS temple attenders who are in the CIA, the FBI, and higher levels of the U.S. military, and Mormonism is well connected in and throughout the nation. That's a factor. Then we have to ask, well, can these Mormon methods of control extend out and over into the Oval Office if a Mormon actually takes it? I think there are a few things that we need to consider to try to determine the answer to this. First, we might look around and see if Mormonism has ever and if they're currently engaged in influencing civic affairs by virtue of ecclesiastical force. Again, our story out of Provo proves that they currently do it. Uh, the MTZ, MTC example is just one of thousands that have occurred, dating all the way back to Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, who were extremely involved in national politics and the survival of Mormonism. But Still, controlling Provo is a much different story than controlling the most powerful office in the world. Is it? Take Mormonism out of the equation and just pretend for a minute that today we are deciding on who should go into office and one of the candidates uh, is a member of a 15 million strong militia of radicals. That is this uh, candidate's uh, membership. That is what they cut their teeth on. It's who they belong to and it's who they have influence and camaraderie with. A 15 million strong militia. 
And let's pretend that this militia is armed to the teeth and just chomping to get this country to follow its lead. Could you convince yourself that the candidate would never resort to influencing that militia to his ends? Would you put them in office having convinced yourself of that? You've got to be totally naive. If you did, would you be willing to elect a man who swears his undying allegiance to the methods of L. Ron Hubbard's organization or to the KKK or to the Illuminati? Would you say that's just fine? Um, if your answer is no, you wouldn't, how can we justify electing an active, faithful Mormon to any public office, knowing what they represent and knowing who has the control? My point is to illustrate that electing to a Mormon public office will enhance and allow Mormon influence to have its way over the person taking the office. Another uh, way we might determine whether the Mormon methods of control can and will extend out and over Mormonism in the over office is to examine how Mormonism has long viewed their presence in this country relative to the Constitution. This is very important. It belongs to something commonly referred to in LDS parlance as the white horse prophecy. The white horse prophecy. Essentially, it has been said and taught throughout the ages that Joseph Smith said, there will come a time when the U.S. Constitution will hang by a thread and the elders of the Mormon church will come in and save it. That is what they call the white horse prophecy. Opening to the Encyclopedia of Mormonism, uh, we read, LDS attachment to the Constitution has been further encouraged by an important oral tradition deriving from a statement attributed to Joseph Smith according to which the Constitution would hang by a thread and be rescued, if at all, only with the help of the saints. Church President John Taylor seemed to go further when he prophesied, when the people shall have torn to shreds the Constitution of the United States, the elders of Israel, the Mormons, will be found holding it up to the nations of the earth and proclaiming liberty and equal rights to all men. Again, this constitution hanging by a thread known as the White Horse Prophecy, it's interesting because Revelation 11, uh, 1911 refers to Jesus on the great white horse and that he came in called Faithful and True, and he's the one who judges and makes war. But not to Mormonism. The White Horse Prophecy uh, relates to the elders of the Mormon church coming in and saving this nation. Is there anything of substance to the LDS White Horse Prophecy being real? Today, LDS apologists and defenders of the faith who are at fairs and farms and at BYU and on North Temple, they try to downplay the teaching and they suggest that it was never in the mindset of Latter-day Saints, past, present, and probably in the future. BYU professor of church history and doctrine Susan Easton Black reported in 2006 that the white horse prophecy as a whole is false. This is what the uh, professor of religion said. In January of 2010, the LDS Church issued the following statement on its newsroom blog site. Quote, the so-called white horse prophecy is based on accounts that have not been substantiated by historical research and is not embraced as church doctrine. This is the ecclesiastical equivalent of Bill Clinton saying, I have not had sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. How can I say, or better yet, how can I prove that it was 
a doctrine and a teaching that was taught and referred to and believed and still is believed by Mormons all over the place. First, I was LDS. The concept was all over the place. Whenever they talked about politics, the Constitution, America, Mormonism, it came up. The white horse prophecy. I can prove uh, this, that it was also talked about excitingly uh, by uh, Mormon leaders. How? UTLM, Sandra Tanner, thank you, provides a bunch of quotes from former LDS leaders and prophets regarding the white horse prophecy, and we're going to give you some. You ready? Let's start with the prophet Brigham Young. He said, how long will it be before the words of the prophet Joseph Smith be fulfilled? He said, if the Constitution of the United States were saved at all, it must be done by this people, meaning the Mormons. It will not be many years before these words come to pass. That's Journal of Discourses 12-204. Again, when the Constitution of the United States hangs, as it were, upon a single thread, they will have to call for the Mormon elders to save it from utter destruction, and they will step forward and do it. You'll notice that these quotes talk about the elders, not a single man. So it doesn't talk about a single man in the Oval Office. A Mormon will lead the country. It talks about the Mormon elders coming in their priesthood and doing it around the world. Again, from Young, the present constitution with a few alterations of a trifling nature is just as good as we want. And if it is sustained on this land of Joseph, it will be done by us and our posterity. He said, I expect to see the day when the elders of Israel, meaning the Mormons, will protect and sustain civil and religious liberty and every constitutional right bequeathed to us by our fathers and spread these rights abroad in conjunction with the gospel for the salvation of all nations. I shall see this whether I live or die. He also said, will the constitution be destroyed? No. It will be held inviolate by this people, and as Joseph Smith said, the time will come when the destiny of the nation will hang upon a single thread at this critical juncture. This people will step forward and save it from the threatened destruction. It will be so. Joseph F. Smith, sixth president of the United States, said, Joseph Smith the prophet was inspired to affirm and ratify this truth. And he further predicted that the time would come when the constitution of our country would hang, as it were, by a thread, and that the Latter-day Saints, above all other people in the world, would come to the rescue of that great and glorious palladium of our liberty. Mormon President Ezra Taft Benson, who was a prophet when I was around, said, the Lord told Joseph Smith that there would be an attempt to overthrow the country by destroying the constitution. Joseph Smith predicted that the time would come when the Constitution would hang, as it were, by a thread, and at that time, this people would step forward and save it from the threatened destruction. He continues, that was taken from Journal of Discourses, it is my conviction that the elders of Israel, the Mormon men, uh, widely spread over the nation, again, it's a collective effort, not an individual effort by an elected official, will at that crucial time successfully rally the righteous of our country and provide the necessary balance of strength to save the institutions of constitutional government. And finally, J. Reuben Clark, Jr., they have the law school at Brigham Young University, named after J. Reuben Clark, said way back in October of 1942, you and I have heard all our lives that the time may come when the Constitution may hang by a thread. I do not know whether it is a thread or a small rope by which it now hangs, 
but I do know that whether it shall live or die, it is now in the balance. So, contrary to what the modern uh, BYU professor Susan Easton Black said, that it, teaching as a whole is false, and what the LDS blog uh, sites are saying on their thing, that it's not doctrine, we can see that the teaching was taught, it was present, and it was there. This brings me to the final question for the night. How will Mormonism influence, uh, use this fluence that it has over its own people? How will it have strategic placement of believers in and through Washington, D.C.? How will it utilize them? And its history of believing uh, that the... Uh, church, the Constitution will hang by a thread. How will the Mormon elders come in and save it? How will this coalesce into viable action on the part of Mormon? It's quietly, subtly, persistently, and just like their secret handshakes that they do in the temples with one another according to their own Mormon code, which only they will understand. In 1999, when uh, Senator Orrin Hatch announced his uh, candidacy for U.S. presidency, he was interviewed on a Mormon-owned radio station here in Utah. The interview, in the interview, the Utah senator, while complaining that the Democrats' political correctness would ruin the country, he said, speaking of the Democrats, they tolerate everything that's bad. They're intolerant of everything that's good. Religious freedom is going to go down the drain, too. I've seen it worse. I've never seen it worse than this, where the Constitution literally is hanging by a thread. That's what he included in his speech as he was announcing he was gonna run for presidency. The radio interviewer, who was LDS, said to Hatch, you are clearly talking to your folks, meaning to the LDS people out there. On Fox News with Bill O'Reilly in 2008, Mormon devotee Glenn Beck sent Akota's message out to Mormon forces right after Obama was elected. This is what he said. I feel the Constitution is hanging in the balance right now, hanging by a thread, unless the good Americans, the good Americans, wake up. That's in the Huffington Post. All right. I would suggest, uh, look, at, the answer is not on the other side. I am not at any way, shape, or form uh, a Republican or a Democrat. I am neither. That is not what I'm talking about. I am suggesting that the time is getting uh, right for believers to stop voting their dang pocketbooks. Stop making their pocketbooks and their fears more important than their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop being willing to put some, some human savior in place and, because the cost is gonna be insurmountable. How could anyone who truly loves the Lord sell his truths out like this? How could we sell our truths out like this? knowing what these people believe and go and just stamp approval because we're afraid of what's going to happen with our country. It's unbelievable. When will real Christians stand up and say, I am done with this world. I am not going to vote. The only time I'm going to vote is when our Lord takes office and he sits on the throne. That's when I will vote. The rest of the time, you can have it. Let the dead bury their dead. I am done with it. I am going to spend my time focused on helping people, teaching Christ and letting the country go the way it's going to go in the hands of these religious charlatans. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. First time callers, please. LDS callers preferred. Turn your television sets off uh, if you get on the air. 
go to Joseph in Honolulu. He's LDS. Joseph, you're on Heart of the Matter. Aloha, Sean. Aloha. Hey, I want to first start off by giving praise to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, and, 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 I, and I thank you for taking my call. I have to let you know that your work is doing such great impact in the lives of people like myself. It was a week ago that I saw, I was clicking on online, I came across Bishop Earl Erskine's uh, testimony. Huh. And it is, it has opened my eyes, it has taken the scales off my eyes, and I've, I've found Jesus Christ, brother. Wow. And, and uh, I've, I've talked to Brother Earl uh, several times on the phone, and uh, a, a really great man. He is. Uh, let, me let me tell you, Sean, I've been through so much. I joined the church 27 years ago, have hold strong to it. Um, I've gone through so much turmoil. I, my dad committing suicide. Uh, several uh, failed marriages. I, I had a battle with cancer. And it was uh, actually this past Sunday I was supposed to go in to renew my recommend. The week prior to is when I saw the, the video of uh, Bishop Earl, and it started me to, to look into it. And that following Tuesday, I had a few underwear that I used for working out, and I, I didn't have any more, and the only thing left was for me to put back on my garments. And brother, I could not do it because I was seeing the light, and I can't go back. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God, Joseph. That is so awesome. Our audience is clapping for you now. Thank the Lord. And, and, and my son and my daughter, my son, thankfully, he's 21. He just turned 21, and he left the church a while back because he had noticed how regiment and how occultish they were. My daughter is, is, is uh, I, showed, I told her to look at Joseph Smith versus Jesus Christ. They have a video, and she's ready to leave the church as well. So my children are saved, brother. Praise God. <laughs> and... and um, you know, I would, I, I, obviously I live in Honolulu, but um, I, I would hope that if I can get up there, that I could come on the show and just and, and, and testify of Jesus Christ and what he's done to me in my life. And if there's any LDS that's out there, please seek the truth. You know, I understand why the Mormon leaders say don't look at anything anti-Mormon or isn't Mormon, because I was one of those persons that would say, oh, no, it's by faith, it's, it's, by the teachings, the prophet. The prophet says so, it's that. And, and over a week and a half ago, if you were to tell me anything different, I wouldn't have listened. And, and it's all about having an open heart and, and looking at the truth and looking at this person, Joseph Smith. And you know, it, it, it hurts me so bad because there are so good, many good men and people that I love in the church that are good people that are trying their best to follow Christ. Yeah. And they just don't have any clue of what it's really about, brother. Amen. Hey, I couldn't have said it better, Joseph. I thank you so much. And you want to reach people. You just did. I can promise you that. Find a good Bible teaching church if you haven't already and get going, my brother. The Lord has a lot to use you with for... You know, I, was, I had a question, though. Yeah. I, I know you have uh, reiterated this before, but, you know... The people that are in the church that are really, and I know you know some that are just really good people. They're not judgmental. They don't, don't look their nose down. They have Christ-like love. Will the Lord show any mercy on these people? I hate to think that they would go to hell. I would think so. I mean, look at, 
you know, the thing is, is it's not whether they, are, they do good, it's whether they know Jesus is the end all author and finisher of their faith. And I have always maintained that there are LDS people who do realize this and they know all the other stuff is a joke. I, I wish they uh, fully understood what it meant to get out, but absolutely, you know, and I know there are people sitting in the Baptist and Lutheran and Catholic and Presbyterian who are going to go to hell. So it's not where you're sitting, it's what is in your heart for him, our king. Right, right. And the other thing is, is I, I just have, I, I'm so, I, I know the Lord teaches us to forgive, but I'm having such a hard time to forgive Joseph Smith and even the current leaders of the church. I know they know, but yet I think they're just boasted up in their pride of being these men of God that they won't tell the truth. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, it really helps to pray for your, pray for those uh, who you have feelings for. Pray for a softened heart. It's a process for many people, Joseph. So just stay, make war on the floor with the Lord. Every day, give your life over to him, and, and, and he'll continue to take it. And he'll let those things drain out of you over time. Promise you that. I, I know. I feel like I'm trying to deprogram myself. You had mentioned about, um, you know, I, I'm thinking, well, in the Mormon church, it's always, am I doing enough? And right. still not having that, that feeling inside, that, I, that assurance that I'm going to make it back. And I'm trying to deprogram myself that if I want to do a certain thing, or for a person out there, if he's having a hard time dipping or smoking a cigarette or drinking a beer, and the church makes you, you're not worthy, that, you know, and, and it's this program that I'm still trying to come out, and I really appreciated when you had shared that there's two things that you pray for, for forgiveness of sins, and that is, am I doing all I can to put God first, and am I loving my neighbor as myself, as being the, the ground foundation of why you ask for your forgiveness of sins instead of going through a catalog of all the things that you do throughout the day. Yeah, and that's not unique to me. It was Luther who really came up with that, you know. So we're all in it together, my brother. Really appreciate the call. God bless you. And, and you know, you don't need to come over here. I'll come over to Hawaii. I'll sacrifice. I'll come over, and we'll hang out. I would love for you to have a show out here. That would be great. But, you know, if I can, you know, get up there, because I do have close friends that are up there, I would love to just come on for a short few minutes and just, you're always welcome. You show up, you can get on, and we'll do it. I love you. And again, LDS brothers and sisters out there, please, please search the history of the church. A man knows, uh, uh, Fawn Brody wrote that book, A Man knows, uh, No Man Knows My History. She got that straight from the archives that the church sealed up after she wrote that book and when she was excommunicated. There is truth out there. Please, brother, sisters, Look for the truth. Let the Lord come into your heart, and you will know a whole different Lord, and he will save you. Please just look for the truth. And don't just listen to what men say, because these are men telling you not to look at these things. I believe and I know that the only reason they say these things is so that you will stay indoctrinated and, and, and be a robot. But don't let be a, break the chains. Break the chains and look to the Lord and look for truth, because I know brothers and sisters that are LDS, active LDS, because I was, I was just getting ready to re renew my temple recommend that if you knew the truth of who Joseph Smith were, was, and the things that he did, there's no way you would follow this church. 
you would follow the Lord. Thank you, my brother. That's a beautiful testimony. Thank you so much. God bless you. God bless you. I love you, Sean. Keep the work going strong. Please. Love you too. Bye-bye. Just to follow that up really quickly, uh, I have an email from Kelly. I was born under the covenant, baptized, it went on a mission. I came across your show. Um, here is why I'm writing. I found When I found out the truth about the LDS Church, it affected me greatly, just like Joseph was saying. I developed hate for my parents and their indoctrination. Hate for Joseph Smith for being a liar. Hate for the current leadership of the church for standing by something they knew was errant. To my parents' favor, they didn't know the facts about Joseph Smith. Life was unpleasant. I, have, I had been deceived by those closest to me, and my whole foundation crumbled, to say the least. I hated God for all of it. I gave up on God, but he didn't give up on me. To say the least, he broke me down and humbled me, and again, so I would look to him. I was born again in Jesus. All the hate toward my parents, LDS apostles, prophets, Joseph Smith vanished. I forgive them and leave the rest to God. That is from Kelly P. Thank you so much. We're going to John and Holiday. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, yeah, how are you? I'm doing well, John. How are you? Uh, pretty good. Now, the last caller wasn't making any uh, inferences that it was the Mormons that caused his divorces and uh, all his emotional disorders and problems in living, is he? Oh, were you, are, you, uh, are you kind of inferring there, uh, uh, John, that it was his fault that he's not Mormon because he went through divorces and because he had emotional problems and might have drank oh, a I'm beer? Saying, I'm saying, was he making the connection? Well, you, I don't think he was making the connection between that. Oh, okay, that was just my... Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, well, uh, you're a very uh, 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 charismatic kind of guy. Yeah. What, what, what is your background? Do you have a degree? Do I have a degree? Yeah, do, do you have a college degree, a bachelor's, or what do you... No. Nope. What's your background a little bit? Don't have one. Just high school? Barely. I thought you taught the seminary. Wasn't that the case? I did, yeah. Well, <laughs> don't you have to have a... Do you have to have any degree to teach seminary? I guess not. Huh? Not in California. Okay. You know how those Californians oh. are. Any, anything else you want to know about me, buddy? I'm sorry? Anything else you want to know about me? Well, you don't like to reveal myself. Move well, on. Uh, the reason I don't, the, uh, wait, but, but let me answer. The reason I don't like to reveal much is because it's ugly. You see? It's what? It's ugly. No. No, 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 no. Let me finish. Curious. You're a very charismatic guy. I don't well, know how much. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, my history is my history is very are along, People are coming along, going along because of your charisma or because of uh, you know the principles. Well, I'll tell you this much: if you if you believe another man, like you believe Joseph Smith and Thomas Monson, and you go believe in me, you're you're a bigger fool. You're a fool. Well, I, I guess I'm a big fool because I think you'd be fun to go on a road trip with. I think you'd be. You know, I wouldn't because all I would talk about is Jesus. I, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, my friend, uh, I am not the charismatic guy you think. I'm a boring guy. I just, I'm, impassioned by the, I'm impassioned by the subject. And I'm an evil guy. I'm an evil guy. Sorry, go ahead. I'm an evil guy, John. I, my heart is evil. My flesh is evil. But you see, the Lord, he didn't care. He knew that I wanted him and sought him, and he saved me. And he's helping me get over my evil nature. 
But you see, I am Do just a, I'm a jackass, you see. If we went on a, if we went on a road trip to San Francisco, you could lay off the, the uh, Jesus stuff for a little while and talk about philosophy or something else, can't you? No, I would talk about Jesus. He's the only philosophy. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And when people come oh. to know him, there is nothing you want to talk about. There's nothing of interest. Everything is boring to me, literally. And I've studied philosophy. Oh. Believe me, it's all boring. It's all dung compared to him. I don't believe him. that. But anyhow, on this white horse prophecy, um, what... Uh, how much luck have you had getting uh, all these other kind of uh, all these other ministers? Uh, there's four or five of them I've heard that are kind of I won't say anti, but uh, well, yeah, they're anti-Mormon. Do they? Why don't you form a coalition uh, to kind of uh, a movement to kind of do a community organizing effort uh, with you know this anti-Romney deal? to uh, get the word out. Have I don't you have a lot of support? Okay, okay we got to stop. I don't have an anti-Romney deal. I, I don't even follow Romney. I just follow what's happening. I hear that a Mormon is going is is uh, possibly going to be put in office, whether it's a male or female, I don't know. But I have that's nothing ro against Romney. I have nothing against anybody named Romney. You got to understand that. Do you know of another do you know another Mormon running? Uh, I don't know. I don't follow politics. I, I, it's not, not of interest to me. What matters to me is it's a Mormon running. That's what matters to me. Hey, listen, John, we got other callers. Love you. Thanks for calling. Talk to you later. Marion from Fairview's LDS first time caller. Marion, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello there, John McCraney. Hello there, Marion. I remember you from the road shows and the, in the 80s in Huntington Beach. Wow. Your parents must be real proud. Well, my parents are really proud that I've changed as a man. Because when I was in those road shows, I was a bastard. I was an arrogant bastard. I was arrogant. I thought I was something. I was headed to godhood. And now my parents see me as someone who's broken. And my parents see me as somebody who, who needs the Lord. And someone who's better to his wife and a better father to his children and doesn't make a church institution his number one thing. So my parents are actually proud of me in the way that I've changed because of the Lord Jesus Christ, Marion. Devil's mixing her call. Either that or she's possessed. I knew you back in the 80s when you were going to church. Yeah. And you must have really had a bad experience. And I'm sorry. I never had a bad experience, Marion. I love the LDS church and its activities as much as somebody who's in the Shriners loves to wear the, the hats and drive around in the little cars. I love the activities. Nobody offended me. Nobody. I like the people. I like that thing. If you but there was, make a call. But there was no truth in it, Marion. There was no Jesus in it. It was a corporate meeting. We, were, we might as all well put on those little red fez hats and sat there because it's the same thing. I challenge uh, LDS people, go to a Christian church. Just sneak away. Tell someone, hey, look, I just got to go. Uh, I got to go uh, somewhere. I'm going to be back in a while and go to a Christian church and sit in there. Just take, just take one hour of your life and sneak in and sit there quietly and observe a Bible teaching church. Go to a Calvary Chapel. There's one here in Salt Lake City. Go to a Calvary Chapel near you. Go to a non-denominational Bible teaching church. 
not ones that are handling snakes and not ones that are doing weird stuff because you know everybody has weird stuff but let me tell you just go to a bible and just sit there and you tell me the difference between you sitting in your meetings and sitting in a christian church andrea and sandy online too andrea you're on heart of the matter hi sean how are you tonight good how are you I am great, thank you. Quick question, I know you need to wrap it up. Yes. Um, I am not LDS, but a friend of mine is. Question is, um, her mother and father have been married for, oh, 30 plus years, and we're getting ready to go through the temple to do some kind of temple sealing. Her mother passed away quite suddenly a couple weeks ago, and my friend told me that she was going to go and stand in for her mother in one of these temple deals. Yeah. What would be the purposes of that? And is there any reference that you can tell me that I can share with her versus biblical reference that could help lead her away from that? Okay, the reason they do it is Latter-day Saints believe that marriage by a Mormon is necessary to live with God after this life. And so if people haven't been married by a Mormon while alive, they do it vicariously. That means that they get two people in the name of the deceased and they marry them in the names of those who have gone on to uh, spirit prison. And so your, your friend is going to go in and represent her mother and her living father and she's going to do it vicariously for her mom and the Mormons are going to seal them so that, the, so that her mom and dad can get to heaven and be married after this life. I would show her the reference. Go to two, the best thing, we're out of time, go to 2010 Archives and watch the show on marriage or family. Marriage and family or marriage. I can't remember what it's called. Family or marriage. Okay. Just take okay. or have her do it, and I think that she will be convinced of what the Bible says versus what Joseph Smith taught. Does that help? It does. God bless you, my friend. Thanks for calling. Thank you. God bless you. Bye-bye. September 1st, Murray Park Amphitheater. We want to hold a revival all churches invited, all pastors invited. Subway sandwiches will be there with uh, a very deep discounted food. We'll have things for the kids. We're going to have a dunk tank. Dunk, your least favorite television host. Uh, We're going to have bands. We want to do a battle of worship bands. We want the different churches to have their worship bands come and battle it out. And we're going to vote and name the best worship band of Salt of Utah up there on the stage. And we're going to do it every year. We want you to come, tell your pastors to come. We're going to hold communion there. And it's going to be a non-denominational communion. And we want the pastors to come and serve the elements out to the people. And we're going to afterward go down to a river. If it's flowing, if not, we'll go to a pool right there. And we're going to do open water baptisms. That is September 1st, Saturday, from 3 to 9 p.m., Murray Amphitheater in Murray, Utah. So uh, put that on your calendar. We do it every year. This is our seventh year. We usually get about 400, 300, 400 people out there. We'll have products to sell. We'll have mu music. We'll have a spoken word. And again, I think the culminating thing is going to be that communion service where all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ as the author and finisher of our faith will come together. We will break. Uh, we will take the elements. And then we will go down and watch people who want to be baptized in his name. Uh, we thank the living God for the gospel of Jesus Christ that has saved us, that has taken wretches like us and given us a hope for the future. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.